T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Matt Pauley is going to join us from Jupiter, Florida. The Cardinals actually getting ready to play a game tomorrow after two weeks of spring training. We're getting very close Woo. to real baseball. It'll be here before we know it. So, Mr. Pauley, a little bit later this hour. Right now, Phil Holloway is back with us, Fox News legal analyst. He's been busy this week with this Murdoch trial, and we're going to go down that and a couple other things here. He's a member of the Rational Ground COVID Policy Think Tank. How are you, Phil Holloway? Good afternoon. It's been a busy week, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a, been a busy week, and it's great to be with you on the radio because, you know, I don't have to really wear makeup or a tie, so it's always nice. <laughs> well, let me start with this because I just – I don't know if you've seen this particular case. I want you to give your take on what's happening with this testimony in that trial. But have you seen this video that's gone viral from Florida of this kid who beat the living crap out of the teacher? If it's the one I'm thinking about, yeah, where they had, like, the Nintendo Switch taken yes. away. So this uh, kid had yeah, a Nintendo I, I, Switch. He's I mean, 17 years old. This is in Palm Coast, Florida. And what you see from a security camera is this teacher walking in the frame. And then this big kid, he's like 275 pounds, real tall, too, about six, uh, six. He tackles the teacher, this woman, and he's just pummeling her. Oh, and she's out. She's, she's unconscious. unconscious. He keeps hitting her over and over and over. And so you said he might be a, not that this excuses it, but he might be a special ed student. Yeah, I'm trying to dig into that part of it, but it's possible. Oh, and then, Phil, you know, you've probably heard about our situation here in St. Louis with our prosecutor in this terrible case of this young girl, Janelle Edmondson, uh, Janae Edmondson from, uh, it's Janae, right, or Janelle? I'm, now I'm forgetting. I, terrible. I feel bad about that. Who was hit by this kid who should have been in prison or at least in jail. She lost her legs, and there's quite the controversy about our prosecutor here. So uh, it's been a busy week here in St. Louis, too, is my point. Yeah, and this is this is just part and parcel, unfortunately, of the ever-growing crime crisis that is growing uh, in America. I was uh, I, I did a, an interview. It's, it's, it's for a story that hasn't aired yet, but it has to do with with the, uh, the, the sort of the liberal DAs around the country and how they they are turning the criminal justice system on its ear by basically going out of its out of their way to uh, fail to do their job and to ignore the will of the legislature. Um, things like, you know, uh, getting rid of cash bail and, and not allowing judges to uh, keep people in custody who need to be in custody. And the pendulum seems, seems to swing from one extreme to the other. You know, the, the, when you take the judge, when you take the, the ability of judges to 
use their discretion, you take that away, that's not good. If you do mandatory minimum sentencing, that's not good. But on the far extreme, we have what we see now where they're just not prosecuting people for um, all all manner of crimes. When you take away consequences, then criminal behavior goes up. Yep. With regard to the thing in the school, though, that was particularly troublesome because – you know, there's so much of this that goes on in school that we don't see on a viral video. The kids are not okay, and they haven't been for a while. And the way we treated them during the COVID pandemic has just made it made it worse. But uh, something has to change. That much is sure. By the way, let, let's just um, talk about one thing because you and I have talked many times over the last couple of years about COVID. Uh, the, the mass studies that have come out the last couple of weeks, interesting, aren't they? Here's the bottom line for anyone who's missed them: they don't work, and even the N95s don't work. And now we know that, and I don't know why there's still requirements and things like that, Phil, but some of this stuff is finally being exposed. Yeah, but the Cochrane the Cochran Review, right, this supposedly the, the gold standard, they always say, until it doesn't say what they want it to say. And then, of course, they say, well, well, Cochrane is, is, you know, it's a bad study, it's flawed. Uh, masks really work, even though we can't find any proof that they do. Just trust us on this. Yeah, that's that's kind of one of those things where uh, they they want to have it both ways. They want to tout all the the hairdresser studies and mannequin studies, but when you have a legitimate uh, scientific outfit like Cochrane comes out and, and does this amazing. Uh, findings and says, look, we just we just can't find any evidence whatsoever that any of this mattered one bit. Um, the, the people who did double down on this for the last two or three years just can't seem to let yeah, it go. It's ridiculous. All right. So I have I have been kind of caught up in this the last couple of days. I followed it since the start. The uh, Alex Murdoch trial. This is a South Carolina lawyer, big family, very well known. We talked in the last hour, Phil, there's this Netflix documentary out about the family. So he's charged with killing his own wife and his son and uh, the prosecution rests and Alec Murdoch, Alex Murdoch takes the stand in his own defense. Now, he's an attorney and and I don't know what your take is. I've seen, and you've said this, Phil, from the beginning, that there's going to potentially be some reasonable doubt. Uh, this guy's been pretty slick on the stand. I don't know if he did it or not, but he was pretty compelling, wasn't he? Yeah, and I said this today uh, at on Fox News at around 1 p.m. when there was a break in the testimony. I said, look, yesterday I was leaning towards the prosecution having the edge here, but after seeing how this guy basically wiped the floor with the prosecutor over the last day and a half, he might very well be sowing reasonable doubt into the minds of at least one, one juror. Listen, th- this prosecutor is getting flustered, and that much is obvious. He's not asking the kinds of questions that we're trained to ask. We're trained to ask leading questions. We are trained to basically give our version of the events, our facts, to the jury by way of leading questions. Don't ask an open-ended question on cross-examination, especially if it's one that you don't know the answer to. And I've seen a lot of that happening, and it's backfiring. It's giving the defendant the opportunity to explain away little things that uh, the prosecutor wants to point out that, quite frankly, would be better saved by the prosecutor for closing statements or closing arguments when when the defendant's not there to to give a rebuttal. So there's just a lot of um, things that I'm seeing that are just basic um, trial strategy 101 kind of stuff that's uh, that's going to come back, I think, yeah. possibly to haunt the prosecutor. I've even heard, maybe it was you, but I heard some folks earlier on in the analysis saying that the prosecutor is making this guy look more, you know, sympathetic, right? They're They're actually helping him, which is not exactly what they're supposed to be doing right now. 
Well, that's because they're asking, like I said, they're asking the, the open-ended questions that give him the opportunity to give something other than a yes or no. On cross-examination, quite frankly, uh, 95% of the questions ought to be questions that should be yes or no questions. And they're not asking them that way. And by, by asking open-ended questions, they're allowing him to continue to, to over and over re- repeat the narrative that he's been practicing, I'm sure, for months. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the, he's, he's humanizing himself to the jury. He's The prosecutor's missing a lot of, um, quite frankly, I think, layups that they, they could make with, with basically making their point. And they're giving him the opportunity to repeatedly say, you know, I'm a bad person. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I did all this terrible stuff, but I'm not a murderer. I didn't murder my wife and my son. And, and honestly, I don't think the prosecutor has has linked up the 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 financial crimes to the murder. They they say that that's somehow the motive, but I have not yet been able to figure out how one is is reasonably related to the other. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the jury uh, understands that they need to base their decision based on the evidence in this case and and not whether or not he's a bad guy for all the other stuff he's been doing. Phil Holloway is back with us. So one thing I was confused about, you can help me out with this, I was and I was watching a fair amount of the testimony the last couple of days, but yesterday he, he admitted that he had lied about a bunch of things. So I want you to explain what he admitted he was lying about. And then yesterday, my understanding is because he was grilled on this today, he, he sort of changed a narrative completely. He came up with a different version of some of this. How does that play? And explain what happened there. Well, he lied, and he admitted that he lied because he had no choice but to admit it. His voice was on the video uh, that his son took just minutes before uh, we think the shootings occurred. And so that proves that he was down at the kennel, which is where the the part of the property where the the murders occurred. And he had previously said he wasn't even down there. Um, And so that that was what he told law enforcement. So he had to admit that he lied. In fact, I went back and and double checked his lawyer and this a lot of people miss this. But I went back and checked his lawyer said in opening statement that the voice that you hear on that video is Alec Murdoch. So so they knew going into this trial that they were going to have to uh, admit that he lied. To law enforcement. And so when you lie about being at the scene of a crime, you would think that that's just compelling evidence of guilt. And all things being equal, it still is pretty good evidence of guilt in this case, but it seems to have been lost in all of the minutia that the prosecutor keeps going over and over and over that has nothing to do with the case, in my opinion. So where, where are we? I don't know how it wrapped up today. I mean, is he still testifying? Did he wrap up his testimony or not? Yeah, he yeah he did. They finished, and I think they're going to start back Monday morning. The defense has said they have a handful, maybe three or four more witnesses they may call. Uh, and then, of course, we get into closing arguments and jury deliberations. This time next week, we may have a verdict, or we may be on verdict watch. Crazy. Well, it is certainly – have you checked out the, the stupid Netflix thing or not? No, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to, to when I have a whole block of time to dive into it. I might binge watch it, but I've heard some interesting things about it, but I will be checking it out. Phil, you have a great weekend. I know how busy you've been with Fox, so I always appreciate it very much when you come on here and help us out with some of these questions. Yeah, happy to do it. All Back right. on Fox again tonight at 1020 we'll p.m. See Eastern time if anybody wants to check it out. We'll be checking Angle it out. Angle. Thank you, Phil. Have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. All right. He's awesome. That in that case is kind of these cases get interesting, and yeah, it's sort they really of really do been captivating. I can imagine if we're captivated by watching this guy testify, the jury is going to see him in a way. You don't need much; you need reasonable doubt. He may have provided that. Now, I still think he did it, right? Uh, well, well and also the fact that normally it's the people who, um, if they are on trial, you're not supposed to testify. You know, 
be your own witness or testify for yourself because they think you'll screw it up. But usually it's the people who think they're smarter than everybody else. It's the killer who thinks that he can outwit the jury and all the. But this guy is also a lawyer, so he knows how to play it. Well, and he has, he seemingly has answers. I mean, to me, he's coming off as credible. Now, I heard the testimony leading up from the prosecution, and I know the inconsistencies in his story. I also don't think there's any other theory here for who might have killed mm. them. Now, the, the deal is, is that there was this boating accident that had occurred with his wife, Paul, or I'm sorry, his son, Paul, who was killed. Right. And he thinks that it was some sort of, that was what he was trying to spin, that it was some sort of retaliation oh, for that, to... right? Hmm. Which is a good theory, but there's no evidence, physical or otherwise, and they do have inconsistencies. He changed clothes. There's right. things along those lines. He said he wasn't there, and then, right. uh, then he eventually admitted. But it's smart to get up there and say, yep. I'm all these terrible things, but not a killer. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, Matt Pauly coming up. I have to get to one more thing here before we wrap up, before we get into some sports. And I've talked about this person before. Her name is Sasha Stone. She's a fellow film critic and, and columnist. I've, uh, I'm have i retired from the film critic business. I was doing it for about 30 years, and the pandemic killed it. But I've known Sasha because she's been a member of uh, the Critics' Choice organization that I belong to. And I've seen her. I've been. I was friends with her on Facebook. Okay, for years, and I would every once in a while, back in the day, I would give her information just anonymously about some of the things that were going on in my group because she did a blog called Awards Daily. Anyway, she would post things on on Facebook that were so outrageously left wing, it was unbelievable. But she has had this epiphany in a way that I've never seen someone. Now, this is even more dramatic, wow. and I've talked about her a little bit before than Bill Maher or some of the others. So she wrote this thing. Um, recently on Substack. She writes up on Substack. The headline was, Did I Just Leave a Cult? Because it kind of feels like I did. Now, I'm going to skip the the first part of it because she goes into a bunch of family history and things that um, I, th- I think shaped her politically, which made her very, very liberal, right? So she was talking about what's happened in the last couple of years and um, who's the oppressors and who's not the oppressors. And she says... Meantime, and you'll understand where this is going in a second, many of our kids began creating and inventing their own religion online. This is the last couple of years, right? A jacked up version of ours based solely on identity, purity, and a binary measure of people who are good and people who are bad. They didn't realize it, but they were building a utopian cult that would grow up, join the workforce, and completely overtake the left. We saw the beginnings of it at Evergreen College in 2018. The Democrats folded. The media pandered. Corporations surrendered, though it took me a while to really understand what had happened to the left. I knew eventually it would drive me away. I was with them as a loyal Democrat who really was a true believer in the party and even the social justice movement for a time. But then it got weird. Really, really weird. I spent a few years trying to fight with them, pushing back against the many cancellations, trying to convince my friends and family that something was wrong with the left, but none of them would listen to me. They were in kind of a mass formation uh, state where all they could do is pull me back into the fold. Even now, they show up with their fingers pointed, accusing me of being a heretic, a blasphemer, a witch. They whisper about me behind my back. They gossip and worry and fret about what happened to me, why I went so wrong. Now, I'm telling you, this person was way out there on the left. And she's just completely transformed. They seem to think that nothing is quite as bad on the left as Trump. 
So they keep asking me, are you a Trump supporter now? Are you voting for Trump? If I answer yes, then they have their confession that they can feel satisfied and they were right to throw me away like human garbage. But I don't answer because I don't know. What I do know is that it was a lie that we were the resistance. We were always the empire. It was a lie that Trump was a fascist. This is where it gets really good. We're closer to fascism now than we've ever been as a country with the Democrats in power. And it was always a lie that Trump world was a cult. Listen to this. What kind of cult leader takes credit for the vaccine and that get his, can't get his supporters to take it? Wouldn't they have complied like everyone did on the left? Did Jim Jones allow anyone to not drink that flavored laced that Kool-Aid with cyanide? The cult of the left is ruled by fanatics, zealots, and true believers. While there really are people who suffer from gender dysphoria and trans people do exist, in my view, they aren't part of the cult of the left so much as they become sacred symbols of it. To be a member of the cult, you have to always be deferential to the sacred and protected groups. America is still majority white, majority Christian, majority heterosexual. That means cult members have to either cross over as non-binary or trans to be saved or they have to be good allies. The women are bad enough trading their journey of empowerment for endless self-punishment over their whiteness. Boy, that's a great line. So now their children are being used as sacred symbols for their path towards salvation. They might not be sacred themselves, but they are the holy mothers of the sacred, which gives them some status. Now, she goes on and on. I mean, this is like this rant that you would not even believe. And to me, and I don't even know if this really, um, you know, translate because I knew how out there she was. And she says stuff like she she puts some she puts some pictures up there. She says, uh, this poor guy, like someone please find his testicles. They were here a minute ago and it's this guy, and I remember seeing this story. It's a guy who uh, did an interview with, I don't know if this was with People magazine or something else. And the headline was, my wife is bisexual and non-binary. My daughter is transgender. My queer family helped me better understand myself and my masculinity. I, some of this stuff what? is just so crazy. And she gets into some of the stuff. She goes, this is why Joe Biden must flank himself with black women, why Hollywood hides behind black actors in their films, their advertising, their award shows. Biden and the Democrats believe they've really changed things by reordering the social hierarchy. If you don't think it's a cult, just today, the Hollywood Reporter published a letter from celebrities demanding that the already oh-so-woke couldn't possibly be more woke. The New York Times changed their coverage of transgender issues. I don't know if you saw it. We talked about it last week. This, this was something that Judd Apatow, Gabriel Union, all these other stars, they were they don't like the way that the New York Times is covering because the New York Times has dared to mention that there's a lot of questions about where this so-called movement is going. Huh. Sasha Stone, I'm telling you. And she also promoted, and I haven't listened to this yet, but the Free Press, which was the group that, you know, blasted out the whistleblower Wash U story, they have a new podcast called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling and what's happened to her. And I got to check that out. Anyway, good for Sasha Stone. What a turnaround. Wow. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Today, coming up here, a little after 5.45 plus, we'll get back into the uh, the Battlehawks. Maybe we'll start with Matt Pauly on the Battlehawks. He's down in Jupiter, Florida. We're going to talk baseball, but caca, Matt Pauly. How are you this afternoon? I am good. It's great. They're 2-0. and I was on a uh, Zoom call with Coach Becht earlier today, and, and he's fired up about his team right now. It's a lot of fun. Well, it is, and people, I like it, you know, and I admitted this earlier. I'm kind of an NFL snob, and I love the NFL, so these, uh, these kind of startup leagues don't do much for me typically. But I did watch last night, had a lot of fun, and I love, you can just feel the energy here in St. Louis with a lot of bad things happening. People had a lot of fun, and it's a great distraction, and they win the game. They're 2-0. and They still have another week before they come back home, though, right? Yeah, they play D.C. on the road this Sunday, and then their first home games the week after that. So stack up these road wins early on, and then uh, have a loaded schedule at the yeah. end of the season. And, Matt, the other thing that kind of – I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, they're opening up some of the upper deck at the Dome. So they, they may have – Kusumano reported they may have 40,000 people in that place for that opening game. That may be three times as much as the second largest crowd. I don't know. I haven't been following the attendance that closely, but you look on TV and it Worth doesn't look like there's a lot of people at these games. No. Yeah. Uh, what do you think before I, I get into baseball? What do you think of what Craig Berube said last night? Let's play this again. Our best players don't play with any passion, no emotion, and no no inspiration at all. They don't play inspired hockey. You cannot play in this league without emotion, grit, and being inspired. Um, they're getting paid lots of money, and they're not showing. They're not doing the job. End of story. Yeah, That's t- it. Tell us how you really feel, right, Matt? Wow. Yeah, good Good for him. Uh, that shocked me when I heard it. Like, he's not one to pull punches, but even for him, that's saying a lot, and that's a lot of frustration coming out. And I think when you compare what some of these younger, more unheralded, how the unheralded players are doing, and then look at Kyrou and Thomas, and, and there's a big difference. Uh, it, if you're a coach, I think that's frustrating, and that's what came out in those yeah, comments. you can hear. All right, well, we talked to you two weeks ago tonight as you were getting ready to head down there to Jupiter. I haven't talked really any baseball since. We're kind of letting these players get ready for games. We have our first game tomorrow, don't we? Yep, we do. Uh, 12 o'clock start Central Time. It's going to be Cardinals and uh, Nationals. Adam Wainwright's going to start for uh, the Cardinals. So it's here. Like this is Tonight is the final night we live where baseball is not being played. Such a good feeling. All right, so what are you noticing? What can you tell us? Who's looking good? Um, is it too early? Give us the report from Jupiter. Yeah, I think it's too early because right now all it is is live BP sessions. Anybody can look good in a live BP session. I think the competition is the thing that's most notable. We talked about this a little bit the last time I was on with you, uh, just about the competition in the outfield and where Jordan Walker stands and all that. Probably the biggest revelation this past week was the fact that not only is it Dylan Carlson and Lars Newtbar competing for the starting center fielder spot, Tyler O'Neill's in that group as well. And uh, Oliver Marmel made it sound like he believes that O'Neill is really going to give everybody else kind of a run for their money. And Mark, what that really tells me is they're positioning this roster that if, and it's a big if, if Jordan Walker makes the team, they need to have uh, space for him and that might mean he has to go to left field and that might mean Tyler O'Neill goes to center yeah well but you, you got to do what you got to do if you got someone that's as good uh, or will be as good as Jordan Walker right yeah absolutely I I still think it's a 50-50 proposition on if Walker's on the team on opening day but he's going to be a cardinal at some point this year and once he is a cardinal he's going to be a cardinal for a really long time 
So are, is there any kind of buzz down there in advance of the game tomorrow, or have you talked to players about the new rules? Yeah, you know, a little bit. I think there's a lot of talk about it. First, like, we can't go through a media session with, uh, with Marmel without three, four questions about it. I don't know if you saw earlier today, Manny Machado was playing in a game for the Padres, and he got dinged. He was uh, not in the batter's box when there was eight seconds left on the clock, so a strike was assessed, and after the game he said he might be behind in a lot of counts 0-1 because he doesn't like that timing of it. So, yeah, when I was broadcasting AAA baseball, we had the pitch clock, and I never thought it made a difference. Like it just, it didn't, it didn't feel like it was impacting the game in the moment. But Mark, at the same time, I was watching video of that Padres Seattle game earlier today, and that pitch clock is just staring at you, and it feels like it's moving fast. So uh, it, the, it don't, you know, people listen to podcasts at one and a half speed sometimes. I oh yeah, think those yeah, people yeah. Are crazy. I don't do that, but people do it. You know. It feels like baseball is now being the uh, podcast at one and a half speed because everything is moving so much quicker. But, the, you know, you address, this is a perfect story with Manny Machado because I, I think that um, – I'm trying to think who I talked to you about this because we've talked about it on the air. Well, you and I might have talked about it too. might not be the pitchers as challenged as the batters. They have all those routines, right? They've got to take their, their yeah. guards off their arms. They've got to put the gloves back on. They've got to spit a few times. That, that's what they're going to be challenged because the routines are going to have to change. Nomar Garcia Parra could have never played in today's baseball. Remember all the stuff he did when he was uh, coming up to the plate? Oh, it was wild. Absolutely. Yeah, he could not do it. So that's that. It is going to be as much of an adjustment for the hitters as the pitchers. And you know, the pitchers they can get the ball and they can just go. Uh, that you know, they, but the hitters it's a little bit different because they they have to be standing in and they have to be ready to receive the pitch when there's eight seconds on the clock. Uh, is is there any way to gauge where Paul DeYoung is right now or not? still too early no um again it's all live bp anybody if you're a major league player you're going to look good during live bp you've got an issue if you don't look good during live bp (laughs) he he has been in jupiter basically since the season ended last year he used every bit of video every bit of data every analytical resource possible to rebuild his swing even before the first full squad workout when players were already here he continued to work on his own against a pitching machine. He did not even start seeing live pitching until that first full squad workout. He stayed on his own program until the very last moment. If there is a guy to watch during uh, these Great Fruit League games, it is Paul DeYoung because he changed his swing so much, and we'll get to find out whether or not it worked. Uh, who are they playing tomorrow? Maybe I missed that. The Nationals. Okay, Nationals tomorrow, and then what? what- is the uh, the pace of games do they have basically games every day coming up for spring training or is it every other day pretty much yeah yeah they'll play uh sunday monday they play tuesday i don't have the schedule in front of me. there's like two off days during the entire spring so uh games pretty much every day here moving forward have you had a chance to talk to wilson Contreras at all i have and uh he's the the conversation today when it came to Contreras was about his defense and oliver marmel is you know he has had defensive issues. Let's not, I'm not trying to sugarcoat the defensive issues that he's had, but the Cardinals seem to be really happy with the work he's put in. It hasn't been overtly said, so this is me inferring. This is not me reporting something that's been said. This is me reading between the lines and giving an indication of what I think is believed. 
I think the thought process is that the Cubs did not challenge him to be a better defensive catcher. He is now being challenged by the Cardinals to do that. He is putting in the work that goes along with it. And while he might not be Yadier Molina defensively, he is not going to be somebody that's going to hurt you behind the plate as much as some people think. But the pitchers need to be, I mean, everyone's got their, I don't know about their favorite catchers, but there are some catchers that are matched up better with pitchers. We know Yadi and Wayno in particular, but their pitchers going to have to get used to a different style to a certain extent, aren't they? Yeah, they are, and it's a it's an interesting question because we don't know what that's going to look like. I know from like an interpersonal standpoint, uh, Wilson Contreras and Yadier Molina are very similar in how much they care about their pitchers. Uh, Contreras is a big target back there; he's a big dude, so I think that's a good thing as well. He doesn't frame pitches very well. That's that's his biggest defensive deficiency. He can throw guys out and with the bigger bases throwing guys out and back picking runners over at first base, there's even more value to that. So just because of rule changes, he became a better defensive catcher last year to this year. Uh, but from a trust standpoint, I think he's already done everything he needs to do to gain the trust of the pitchers. I think we're just ready for some baseball, right? Let's let's get these yeah, let's it's, see it's, what we have. I agree. I like, it's funny because we do these 15, 20-minute sessions with Oliver Marmel every single day where nothing has really happened. And like, it's, it's borderline silly because nothing's happening. Let's just, let's just play baseball, and then we can start asking questions related to things that actually happen on a baseball field. Matt, remind me uh, also how the World Baseball Classic kind of plays in all that. When did the players that are going to participate in that take off? Different players leave at different times depending on where camps are going to be. Like Lars Newtbar and Tommy Edmond have to uh, have like 14-hour flights to go train with their respective teams uh, where other players are going to be training in the United States. Some players will leave at the end of February, others at the beginning of March. You leave the team, you join your WBC team camp. Uh, they've got a week or so, I think, of practice, and then everybody comes here. They start doing the uh, exhibition games against major league teams, and then uh, the WBC, uh, some of the WBC is going to be uh, not in the United States, but the United States portion of the WBC will be held in uh, the Phoenix area. Awesome. Uh, are you sunburned? I hope you are, just because we're jealous that you're in Florida. I've done a pretty good job on the uh, on the suns on the uh, spray every day, which is good. I um, I went and I went for a walk on the beach, Mark. Yeah. My shoes got stolen. My shoes. I I, I took my shoes off. Yes, I took my shoes off to go for a nice long walk. I'm gone for like 35, 40 minutes. I come back. Shoes are gone. Where, you just kind of left I, him I, where, where you were staying or just, just right there on the beach where most people are respectful of that because they know people. Yes. Yeah, I left right. them under. There, there was a lawn chair, you know, like there are on the beach, and I left them underneath uh, one of those public lawn chairs that was out there, and I went for my walk. And then I live about, or not live, but I'm staying at a, about a quarter mile from the beach, so I had to walk all the way back on the street <laughs> and the sidewalks <laughs> and bare feet. It was not fun. No, that doesn't. That stinks. Uh, that would be, and I'm guessing you were, uh, like, if that happened to me, I'd be just so yes, frustrated and irritated. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's, that's I, I called my wife. I'm like, somebody stole my shoes. <laughs> that's nuts. Uh, <laughs> hey, on the top, one, one more off-baseball topic, because we talked about it with Frank, and you know how big of a Mizzou fan I am. How about that game the other night, overtime game? I mean, look, you don't want to drop a game like that at home, and you almost did, but the uh, Tigers have a chance to close out strong here against some teams that they should beat up on in the next week. We'll see if that happens. 
Yeah, you know, Mississippi State was making a little bit of run for the tournament. They had a fantastic non-conference season, and then they kind of started conference play slow. They were right next to Missouri in the standings. There's a scenario where those two teams were maybe fighting for the final NCAA tournament berth out of the SEC. That's a huge win for Missouri, and uh, not that they're locked into the tournament quite yet, but that goes a long way towards getting them in. Well, realistically, now with this happen because it's you know conference play is always tough. But you got Georgia tomorrow um, down in um, not not in Columbia, Georgia, uh, Missouri against LSU on Wednesday, and then Ole Miss closes out the season, the regular season next Saturday. You, you should legit probably win all three. Now again, probably maybe they won't, but you got to take two out of three of those games for sure, especially with the soft schedule. Yeah, Georgia has had moments this year. LSU hasn't. Ole Miss just fired their coach today, so those are all very winnable games. I did not know that. I'm looking maybe at a 6-7 seed in the end, and we'll see what happens. All right, Matt Pauley. Well, listen, you have fun with these games being um, started. We'll have a much better picture even next Friday of where these Cardinals are early in spring training. Have fun. Hey, do you need a GoFundMe for some shoes or anything? Can we help you out? (laughs) Sir. Local sporting good want to store want to provide me some uh, some new running shoes. <laughs> yeah, uh, name, image, and likeness deal. That's what you need, Paulie. Take care. Yeah. Have a great weekend. <laughs> but, that that would be frustrating. Can wouldn't you it? imagine? I mean, I guess I can because I'm actually. You know, it's funny that he should say that because. I think we all, if you're on the beach, you leave clothes, you leave towels. Oh, I've, yes. I've done that. Even even at a pool, like if you're in Las Vegas or something like that, you leave stuff there. I'm, I'm always almost surprised that more people don't take it, but he becomes well, a prime he found the people who do. In Jupiter. Have you ever been down to that area? Yeah, to Jupiter? Sure I've never have. have. Mm-hmm. And you you have not been or yeah, you have been to spring training? Yeah, I was there on the first uh, year of spring training at Roger Dean. They sent down the non-KMOX radio stations so, down there. So you were working uh-huh. it? Yeah, so I watched jealous. Courtney uh, run the bases for the first time. Yeah, so it, all kinds who? of Courtney Landrum who oh, was okay. down there at the same time, right. and they had all the personalities who weren't on KMOX out. So there was just a bunch of us. It was a hoot. That would be fun. Yeah, I did not get that. You know, I've always, I always kind of wanted to do the show down there and just take advantage and not even take the time off. Just well, yeah, go down and do the show down there. I never, unfortunately, did that. That was kind of dumb of me. Not out of the question in the future. By the way, speaking of taking the show on the road, next Friday we're going on the road starting a week from today. <laughs> Fish Fry Friday, St. Stephen's in uh, Holly Hills, Sue's Neck of the Woods. Mm-hmm. It's walking distance. That's why we picked that one as the first one. We'll do the round table, the four o'clock hour. George Gray from The Price is Right will do The Price is Wrong live next Friday at St. Stephen's. It's going to be epic. All right, this is a pretty interesting story. This was in the Wall Street Journal yesterday from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Within the world of devoted French horn players in the U.S., this guy that they write about, Elliot Higgins, was a pioneering figure. He was a young hornist, as they call it. That's weird to say hornist. It's isn't very it? weird. But that's what they wrote, and I think that's officially. I'm sure that's true. Uh, he was young hornist in the 70s. He helped launch the first French horn soloist competition in America. Wow. Inspired, or he was inspired by the performances of European players. He conducted the Albuquerque Philharmonic. He started a renowned annual French horn workshop that drew top talent. And during the summers. Mr. Higgins, as the story says, with his wisps of white hair and crimson cheeks, could be found teaching aspiring players at his family's music camp tucked away in the uh, mountains of New Mexico. Earlier this month, investigators in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, 
said that Mr. Higgins, who died in 2014 at the age of 73 years old, was responsible for something far darker. According to law enforcement, DNA evidence, new genetic genealogy research, and additional police work showed that this guy was a serial (gasps) rapist. What? With trail of crimes across the country. The evidence, they said, linked him to at least three unsolved violent sexual assaults of women, crimes that had vexed investigators in Alabama and Colorado for decades. Subsequent genetic testing of his surviving relatives indicated that he was the attacker in crimes where DNA evidence was collected with a probability greater than 99.99%. So he's got a daughter who is an adult, Amber Higgins, who's just horrified. She says she was in total disbelief, filled with rage, sadness, humiliation. Now, this is one of those cases. This is what's so weird because you don't know, right? She says, as my father, he was loving Devoted seemed to be kind, morally upstanding. I've been trying to wrap my mind around how it's possible that he could have had this other person hidden inside of him. Guys that worked with him, and ladies and gentlemen, we were duped by a master manipulator and liar. French horn player, uh, board member of the International Horn Competition. Now, this is another one of these, which, thank God, soon you've highlighted a lot of them, where this genetic genealogy, genealogy mm-hmm. comes together, and you yep. can find these people responsible for cold cases. Now, this guy had been dead, but at least you have some resolution. But can you imagine? No. Your your grandpa, your your husband, your all of a sudden you think you know that person. And it turns out they're a violent rapist? It's, it's unthinkable. I mean, that, that Wisps one. of hair and ruddy cheeks. Well, you should I mean, see his picture. Grief. The man he plays just, a French horn. Look at him. He just he oh, looks like geez. your grandpa. He's got the French horn. But, wow. Wow, uh, wow, wow. That is wow. All uh, right. Mm. We got to get one more Battlehawks update. Chris Smith is our uh, correspondent in chief for the St. Louis Battlehawks. Chris is my friend who is known as Chris in the country, who would call my show many years ago. He was um, unfortunately shot in the head the night before Thanksgiving in 2021. He's on this amazing road to recovery, and he's a huge Battlehawks fan. And he was texting me so much last night, I had to block his number, I think, because you were so excited. How are you, Chris? That was a great victory, wasn't it? Mark. Yes, it was. It was great. Hey, I got to follow the French horn guy. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. I know. That's a little awkward. Uh, but what happened last night? Now, I will say this. I missed the entire first half and uh, part of the third quarter. I picked it up kind of midway third quarter and watched the finish, which was exciting. But did they start off well last night? Well, not really. A.J. McCarron is slow to start again in last night's game, too. But the fourth quarter, the guy's got magic. I don't get it, but he plays his head off in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was exciting. It was exciting. And I, I love the yes, fit. Now, Chris, paint the picture because you where were you? Like you were watching this game with a bunch of people, weren't you? Well well yeah, I was up at the post here post sports bar here in uh, Lake St. Louis, Missouri. They are the official Battlehawks headquarters now for they have pre they have watch huh. parties every Battlehawks game. It's great. That's and awesome. then people know you now. They know me as the official Battlehawks reporter for the Mark Reardon show. Ka-ka. You're getting tons of more listeners out too. Ka-ka. That's right. Right. Yeah. All right. So what what do you see after two How weeks? How are you doing? After doing two, great things. After two weeks of this team, um, you know, if you can go three and all on the road, that's a pretty good start coming home. Chris, we reported a couple of times this afternoon that they're opening up the upper deck in the dome, and they may have forty thousand people in there in a couple of weeks for that game, which is going to be awesome. Yes, it's going to be great. That is going to be. The first home game to be on three twelve, which is Sunday, guys. So get your tickets before it's sold out. One of the but things I, I like about the uh, the league because what was the uh, the name of the team last night? Seattle, the um, what the hell was sea it? Sea Dragons. Yeah, Sea Dragons. But there's huh. there's fun yeah. factor. The colors are very it's very colorful uniforms. But there were not a lot of people in that stadium last night, were there? No, no, there were not. No, no, no. 
I don't. I mean, Seattle. You got to figure they had the Seahawks there, so I guess they're kind of like liquid five football up there. But True. unlike people here in St. Louis, that Stan Kroenke really put the ticket to St. Louis. So let's show the NFL, everybody, that St. Louis is a football town. And also, Dwayne Johnson does come to all the first home games. Oh, so he might yeah, be here. That's cool. Hey, you know one thing that was awkward. So have you watched any of the television? Yeah, I saw the. Well, I didn't see this game. I saw the first one. But you know that they have a lot of people mic'd up. And then the other thing I noticed I last that, night, this guy, Dean Blandino, who was on, he was either on CBS or Fox as an official and someone who would analyze the plays. But that dude sucked last night. Every time they went to Dean Blandino, yeah. he had like this deer really? in the headlights look. And I, oh, it was not, that was not good TV. So I think that on the coverage front for this league, they still have a little work and maybe some kinks to work out. Just my impression. Well, he's no Chris in the country. That's no, for he's sure. no Chris I'll in the country. That. All right, we got to get. By the way, no, we need to get not. him. We need to get you credentialed and on the sideline for that game in a couple of weeks. Yes, we do. Uh, give hey, me one more. Cu- I, give me a caca as we okay. get out of here this afternoon. Okay. Caca. That was pretty good. He's like pretty that. good at it. Oh, Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Have a good weekend. Playback ready. Now the audio cut of the day. Now, I don't have anything that's great today, Sue. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah, sometimes you know, it happens. There's a lot that... We had we, a lot yesterday. We did have a lot yesterday. And I could do, like, every once in a while, I'll do, like, a cut of the week. Here, th- let me do a couple here. This one, only because it's interesting from who he's making fun of. It's not funny, because I don't find this guy funny. This is Colbert, but unusual. He goes after Mayor Pete. Speaking of transit, it has been 20 days since the horrific train derailment and chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio. And today, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg finally visited the site. 20 days late. I'm glad he's not an EMT. (sighs) Let's see here. Time of death three weeks ago. Looks like Buttigieg knows he acted too slowly, admitting that he could have spoken out sooner, adding, and I would have been here earlier, but traffic was a mess, the trains are a disaster, all the flights were canceled, someone should really deal with this country's transportation. I had to take a city bike. I was surprised that they don't break bad on their own very often. You can even hear, if you listen to the the beginning of that clip, you can hear the awkwardness in the audience. They're like, wait a second, Stephen. Wait a minute. You are going against one of our saviors. And then I just like this because it's kind of funny. I pick on her a lot, but this is one I can certainly relate with. KJP. So today, as you all saw, just an hour or so ago, President Obama announced that, pardon me, President Biden. Whoa. Well, you know, it happens every once in a while. It does. Have a great weekend. Thank we will you. talk on Monday afternoon. We're going on the road next Friday. Fish Fry Friday is coming up in March. It's going to be a blast. Audio Cut of the Day sponsored by my friends at the Good Feet Store, where it's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
basketball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.